Xtalks connects professionals in the life science, medical device, and food industries with useful content like webinars, job openings, articles, and virtual meetings to help you succeed in your career. This food industry-focused podcast brings together some of our editorial staff to share insights into the latest B2B industry news to help keep you up to date. This week on the show, we are discussing lab-grown meat approved by the FDA and a new food traceability rules. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Xtalks Food Podcast. I'm Sydney Perlmutter, Senior Food Industry Journalist and Webinar Moderator at xtalks.com, and this week I'm joined by Aisha Rashid and Vera Kovacevich. Thanks for coming today. So I'm going to start us off with a very groundbreaking story in the world of food. Last week, um, lab-grown meat was approved by the FDA for the first time. And this was, you know, after many years of research and development, innovation and anticipation. We've spoken about it on the podcast many times before, but this is a huge moment for the lab-grown meat industry. And specifically, the agency gave approval to San Francisco-based startup Upside Foods to sell its lab-grown chicken, deeming it safe to eat. So lab-grown meat was approved through the FDA's Generally Recognized as Safe Process, or GRASS, in which the FDA reviews a food company's production process and final products and and gives it a no-further-questions letter if it's deemed safe to consume. So in a statement um, from the FDA last Wednesday, it said, We evaluated the information Upside Foods submitted to the agency, and we have no further questions at this time about the firm's safety conclusion. The firm will use animal cell culture technology to take living cells from chickens and grow the cells in a controlled environment to make the cultured animal cell food. It all sounds so sci-fi to me, Uh, at least that sentence did. But Mm -hmm. the product, which is biologically indistinguishable from traditional chicken, is made by growing animal cells in bioreactors, which are fed a mix of nutrients to develop into fat and muscle tissue. And though the company still needs USDA approval before it can sell to consumers, it's, like I said, a watershed moment for the lab-grown meat space and the broader food industry. And, you know, from Upside Foods, it said in a press release that it will be working closely with the FDA to finalize the approval process before it can finally become commercialized. And if granted um, USDA approval, their chicken will first likely be sold in small quantities at Atelier Kren, which is a restaurant run by Michelin-starred chef Dominique Kren, who announced a partnership with Upside Foods last year. So it's very interesting to see that, you know, even before... Uh, this has been commercialized. A Michelin-starred chef is is gearing up to uh, make and sell it in in his restaurant. So I found that kind of interesting. But while Upside Foods awaits approval, some 100 startups around the world uh, are are working to get their lab-grown meat out of the lab and into small production facilities, as they also gear up for regulatory approval. But their offerings are wholly distinct from the vast array of plant-based meat products that are already on the market, like those from Beyond Meat and Impossible Foods, which are made with plant-based ingredients like soy, wheat, peas, beans, starches, and oil. Cultivated meat, on the other hand, is technically real meat, but without the slaughtering or harming of any animals. But despite the pending U.S. regulatory approval and roundup of startups that are willing and able to produce it, consumers probably won't find lab-grown meat on grocery store shelves or fast food menus anytime soon. It's still highly expensive to produce. 
Many startups, though, have claimed that they've been able to produce lab-grown meat at a fraction of the cost, but estimates range from tens of thousands of dollars per pound in the late 2010s down to thousands or hundreds of dollars per pound in the last few years, according to Good Seed Ventures, which is a sustainable food investment company. And while a lab-grown meat approval is a momentous occasion in the U.S., other countries have been selling it for several years. In late 2020, Singapore became the first country to approve the sale of lab-grown meat, and it was also a chicken product. The cultured chicken is made by the U.S.-based startup Eat Just, which you may recognize the name from their Just Eggs, uh, which are plant-based eggs as well. Um, And it has been sold actually at a loss in small quantities um, at high-end restaurants, a hotel and throughout a food delivery service in the country. So it is by no means part of the, you know, you won't be seeing it at many places in Singapore either. But yeah, I, um, when I first saw this, I immediately knew I had to write about it and cover it because it's such a huge moment. We've been waiting for, for so many years for this. I feel like maybe some people also already thought that it might have been FDA approved already, but You know, like drugs, foods also have to go through FDA approval, especially new food products. And this is absolutely a new food product. So, yeah, what are your, you know, initial thoughts on this? Um, um, Is this something that you would try? And, um, you know, with that with that price tag I was talking about, um, do you even think it's it's a viable thing if it did come onto the market? And let's say it was like one hundred dollars a pound for like for chicken. Yeah, I was kind of very surprised at the price. Very, very surprised. Um, yeah, that's that's really really expensive. Um, I I will I I did want to ask you, Sydney. So they gave approval to one startup, right? But does mm-hmm. any company who wants to make a lab grown meat product like do they have to seek approval from the FDA now? Probably. That is a very good question. I think probably, um, even though, hold on, I'm, I'm just opening the, uh, the FDA, um, their letter itself. Um, in this letter, they specifically talk about upside foods. Um, I think they probably need to verify like the manufacturing. This, probably. Yeah. I, I'm going to guess yes. Um, just because, you know, other companies will, will also be working on different types of lab grown meat as well. Like this is just chicken. Um, and I would imagine, uh, that, you know, companies that are working on beef or, or even other types of chicken as well, will probably need FDA approval. Um, Upside Foods just happened to be the first one that was approved. I feel like perhaps they got on it a little bit earlier um, and submitted everything they needed to before any other companies. Um, but that's a great question. And, and my immediate thought is is probably, yes, they would have to get uh, FDA approval. Yeah, each company probably has their own, pri- like their own special way. Proprietary way. Yeah, you're, you're probably yeah, right Yeah, which there. they don't want to mm-hmm. share yet. It's kind of like a patent mm-hmm. in the drug world, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So they're keeping it a secret um, as long as they can, I guess. But yeah, that Mm -hmm. price, I was quite shocked um, because, I mean, I did work in the lab when I was a student and I know like this is not the same because I was in a science lab, but, you know, generally like growing cells that has been done so many times, like, you know, cell growth and cultivation, like, I wouldn't have imagined it would have been this expensive. 
I think I think the reason it would be so expensive is just the scalability of it all. Um, with with the traditional meat industry, um, you know, you're dealing with the the like, you know, it may, it may cost more to actually house all like let's say chickens uh, that you need to, but they're all there ready, um, you know, to be packaged and, and sold. But the time process it could it could very well take longer to produce lab grown meat, um, and it may just not be able to be produced as quickly um, as traditional meat. So there's so many factors beyond like the scope of my understanding, probably that make it more expensive and like everything with time I'm sure it will come down but yeah. that's why I, I say that we probably won't be seeing it anytime soon I don't think consumers are willing to pay top top dollar uh quite yet mm-hmm. no this is this is wow like such big news and uh yeah when I saw it too I was like wow this is like for lack of a better word, game changing. And I think it's this is what like people have been envisioning where the future is going to be going, right? So it's like, when is this coming out? When is this coming out? And like, it's like, oh, wow, wow it's here. The future is here for alternative meats. And um, I think this is uh, such a, a big breakthrough. And I think a lot of people didn't realize that it would have to go through the FDA approval process. I feel like a lot of people people were kind of like, oh, really? Oh, it's FDA approved. Oh, wow. Like this means like this is big, right? This is like this means business. Um, it's not just like some obscure company putting out like this, you know, lab grown meat for consumption. So, yeah, it's great to see that it has to go through uh, regulatory checks and um, and, you know, first approval from the FDA. So this is uh, definitely very, very big. And uh, yeah, I think the cost at this point is justified because I can just imagine like what goes into making a full piece of like chicken in the lab. Like it's, it's um, like, I know Vera, you were saying cultivating cells, but I think it's a lot more than just that because you have, there's probably a lot more, you know, there are probably a lot more reagents, as we call, say, in the lab that go into it and just a lot of time, effort, resources. And I think, um, yeah, so probably that's why the price is so high. And uh, yeah, hopefully the prices do come down once um, you start getting investors and partnerships and all else that goes along with uh, commercializing a product. So uh, yeah, very excited. I definitely would try it. Uh, for sure it just it brings to question also the fact that I think we've talked about this before like vegetarians or vegans is uh, probably not something they would try because it's still a source from an animal but I think for people who are more environmentally conscious I think this is something that would appeal to that group so it'd be interesting to see which groups or which types of people adopt or would go for this type of meat alternative yeah, yeah, because I have a friend who's vegetarian who said he would absolutely try this oh, because it's because he is he's a vegetarian for animal rights issues um, and animals you know, aren't killed in the process, right? So they're not or harmed in any or way. Harmed. So yeah. that's yeah. it's it's a great thing and. Um, it also would be very interesting to, you know, for someone, for example, who had never eaten meat for them to like try this for the first mm. time and like get to experience it kind of like guilt free in a, yeah. in a way yeah. is, is pretty, pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would I, I want to say in our lifetime, um, you know, probably in the next 10, 20 years, we'll be seeing it um, hopefully at a normal price. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, it's it's I still. I think a, it would still be at a premium, just like mm-hmm. um, plant based um, uh, options and things like that. So it would be. I don't think they can ever come down to to like agricultural, like mm-hmm. you know, like sorry, just like farm raised animals and like the right the real and and I also don't think that like the goal of any of these companies are at least no, I hope to compete not. with right yeah. yeah it's it's to obliterate any industry no. any established industry either I think it's mm-hmm. to work you know in parity with them and yeah. and alongside them and uh because you know without traditional animals you couldn't have this there either exactly you, we yeah. still need traditional uh you know farm-raised animals so yeah. they can get the cells and make this lab-grown meat so mm-hmm. yeah that's not going away anytime soon either um but yeah like like we were all saying this is a huge moment uh for the industry um, and I'm excited to see who is going to be next to be approved and, and what type of meat it's going to be. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, moving on. So last week in other FDA news, um, it issued its final rule on requirements for additional traceability records for certain foods, which includes food traceability protocols for a variety of food products susceptible to contamination. Although food traceability requirements are becoming, you know, much more common, we have two grocery trade groups that are expressing concerns regarding this new ruling. So this final rule, which goes into effect in early 2026 and is part of the FDA's Food Safety Modernization Act, is designed to provide a means for additional traceability of high-risk foods through record-keeping requirements from companies who manufacture, process, pack, or hold foods the agency has designed for uh, inclusion on the food traceability list. So this means that people who manufacture, process, pack, or hold foods, including produce, cheeses, eggs, nut butter, seafood, and deli salads will be subjected to new rules, uh, to the new rule during production and along the supply chain. So the law makes exemptions for small farms, stores, food service entities, produce that is rarely consumed raw, and some foods that are treated to reduce contamination. However, requiring a variety of different entities to start keeping new records is a large undertaking. And while it's difficult for some to digest the nearly 600-page final rule in the hours since it was published, industry associations that will be required to change policies are pushing back on some of the sweeping mandates. And the grocery industry in particular is eyeing the new food traceability rule with caution. So the National Grocers Association, or NGA, and the Food Industry Association, or FMI, voiced their concerns about the expanded scope of the final food traceability rule. The NGA, which represents independent supermarkets, has submitted comments to the FDA on the proposed rule claiming it will disproportionately impact smaller grocers. So the FMI said in a statement, it is already clear that the implementation of the requirements in the, in the rule will demand tremendous investment of time and resources across the entire food industry. The trade group added um, that work on the safety of the food supply chain needs to be done with the least possible impact on food prices, greatest impact on results, and consistency with the intent of the law passed in 2011. But it does not believe that the new rule will accomplish this. Now, as different impacted industry groups see the changes they will need to make to comply with the new requirement, similar programs might be implemented for specifically like cheesemakers or produce growers. 
but other businesses have more than three years to make these changes. And while the NGA and the FMI agree that new food traceability rule exceeds the FDA's statutory authority, they also express their ongoing full commitment to support and work to protect public health through appropriate product tracing and record-keeping practices for high-risk foods. And considering recent large outbreaks linked to peanut butter and raw onions, the need for further further food safety mandates is apparent. Now... Obviously, uh, we've seen a lot of, you know, food traceability requirements in the last like few years uh, since 2011. Um, the food since the Food Safety Modernization Act has been, um, you know, updating requirements for food traceability. So basically, um, these two associations feel as though uh, these new requirements are going to be disproportionately impacting smaller um, grocers. Um, but one thing that I did see is that this this rule will make exemptions for small farms and stores as well. Um, so I was a little confused by, uh, you know, maybe they represent ones that that won't be exempt from this, uh, for example. But yeah, do you think they uh, uh, what they're arguing makes sense? Uh, do you agree that, you know, they they probably won't have the ability to make these changes in three years and these changes will likely require them to upgrade, you know, from potentially like pencil and paper to, uh, you know, different technology that they may not be able to afford. So there's a lot that goes into making these changes. And do you think that these associations, um, you know, that they're making a fair point here? I do think so, yes, um, because like the smaller, um, like you said, the smaller grocers and just the smaller um, companies, like they need to somehow now like find money (laughs) to implement these changes, right? Or to hire like a consulting group or, you know, any kind of um, other company that helps, uh, you know, uh, producers in the food industry because I, I don't think they have from their existing personnel anyone who is able to help them implement this new rule. So essentially, at the end of the day, yes, they are concerned about public health, like, you know, and food safety. That is true. However, they also have a probably equal concern about how feasible is this for them to actually accomplish in three years. Yeah, that's a great point. I don't think anyone wants to risk losing their business over something like this. Um, and if they don't think it's going to be achievable, um, then yeah, it's it's completely fair to uh, to be a little bit worried about that. And I, it, it is true. I mean, they they absolutely care about the health and safety of the public um, as as they play a huge role in in the grocery industry and and just people's health in general. Um, but yeah, requiring, you know, similar or the same things from small grocers as from massive corporations is, is, is a huge thing to ask from the FDA. Um, and I don't know if there's going to be any programs or funding to help, uh, smaller grocers implement, uh, these requirements, um, that was not mentioned. So yeah, it's, I can absolutely see where they're coming from as well. Yeah, like you guys have said, I see both sides as well. I see the importance of this new uh, traceability um, rule, but at the same time, it's going to be very challenging for especially smaller entities to be able to comply with um, all of the guidelines. And so I think this is where um, 
I think, yeah, even in developing these traceability rules, I think it's, I'm not sure if this was done, but to, I wonder if, um, you know, they, the trade groups and different producers were involved in the process at all. Um, so I think it's, it's important for like the FDA and, um, you know, all of these groups to, to be in better communication with each other and to work together to, to develop these kinds of important uh, guidelines. And uh, I just wonder how much of a part uh, the industry groups played in this. And then again, like even if industry groups were engaged by the FDA and vice versa in, in developing this new traceability rule, um, the smaller, you know, like groups would have been left out anyway likely hopefully not so yeah it becomes very difficult for the smaller groups here so i just hope that like you mentioned sydney that maybe uh they can be offered some support some funding programs that can help them comply and uh, three years is not a long time at all so it's going to be um, pretty challenging but uh, hopefully they do get the support that they need to be able to meet these new um, requirements completely agreed all right, well, that's the end of this episode of the X Talks Food Podcast. If you liked today's show, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Thanks, everyone, and see you next week. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to the X Talks Food Industry Podcast. If you enjoyed our discussions today, please share the episode with your friends and colleagues, and be sure to subscribe in order to be notified when a new episode is released. To join in on the discussion, you can find X Talks on social media, email podcast at xtalks.com or comment on the articles directly. Links are in the show description. Take a moment to join our community at xtalks.com to get access to everything we have to offer, including webinars, job listings, virtual meetings, articles, and more. The views and opinions expressed in the podcast are those of the speakers sharing them. They should not be taken as professional advice and do not necessarily reflect the policy or position Honeycomb Worldwide. For further information, email us at podcast at xtalk.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week.